Well, a pastor shared a story of a time when he was growing up and he had a favorite uncle. And it just so happened that this favorite uncle tended to be kind of a bad influence. I'm curious, does anybody in the room have a favorite uncle that was kind of a bad influence? Anybody? A few of you? Okay. Now, how many of you, let me ask it this way, how many of you maybe you are the favorite uncle or the favorite aunt that is maybe a bad influence on your nephews and nieces? A few of you. All right. I appreciate the fact you can admit that. Well, this pastor shared this story of when he was a young boy and and he had this favorite uncle, and uh, this favorite uncle came to his house around the holidays, and they went to church that Sunday morning. And it was in the church service, a regular church service, a lot like this one today. It was in that church service that came to the offering time. And so uh, the ushers came forward, and they, they passed the offering plates down each row. People gave their offering, and it went past the, the nephew, and, and uh, he passed it to his uncle, and his uncle passed it then down on the line, and so on and so forth. And it was at that point, the, the uncle kind of leaned over to the nephew and showed him something hidden in the palm of his hand and just kind of revealed with his other hand the fringe of a $20 bill. And he leaned over to his nephew and he just kind of whispered into his ear and asked him this question, how much did you get? And the nephew was just appalled, shocked that his uncle, his favorite uncle that was kind of a bad influence, would steal in church, would steal from the offering. He just absolutely could not believe it. And it wasn't until years later, eventually this young boy becomes a pastor, but it wasn't until years later that that young boy realized that his uncle was only kidding. But the uncle asked an intriguing question, how much did you get? Welcome to Element Church. My name is Andy Hazel. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Element. And whether you're joining us here in person or via a video screen today, uh, I'm just thrilled that you're here as we start this new series and as we start this Christmas season. We're starting a new series today called Given. And in this series, we're, we're, we're answering this question that the uncle asked his nephew in church, how much did you get? As we approach the Christmas season and as we experience the gift giving that goes along with Christmas, we can be reminded of the greatest gift of all time, the gift of Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 is the theme passage that we'll be preaching through over the next four weeks leading up to Christmas. And here it is. This is Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For a child is born to us, a son is given The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen." Isaiah wrote this prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was even born. Scholars agree that this prophecy was very obviously fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. The New Testament agrees, and the writers of the New Testament actually quote this passage from Isaiah, pointing to the fact that Jesus had fulfilled this prophecy in Isaiah. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are four attributes of the one, Jesus, 
who has been given to us. And our focus today is on wonderful counselor. Now, typically, we read these two words as one attribute, but really there are two unique thoughts here in the book of Isaiah. Jesus is wonderful and Jesus is counselor. Wonderful meaning he is not ordinary. Commentator Albert Barnes describes wonderful this way. It is a word which expresses with surprising accuracy everything in relation to the Redeemer. For the Messiah was wonderful in all things. It was wonderful love by which God gave him and by which he came. The manner of his birth was wonderful. His humility, his self-denial, his sorrows were wonderful. His mighty works were wonderful. His dying agonies were wonderful. And his resurrection, his ascension were all suited to excite admiration and wonder. He's wonderful. As a counselor, Jesus is a capable advisor and coach for every area of our lives. Jesus is transcendent, meaning he is beyond our comprehension and out of this universe. But in addition to that, Jesus is also Emmanuel, which means he is God with us. The Christmas story itself celebrates this. Jesus became human. Eugene Peterson describes Jesus, the counselor, this way. He is not a dictator, but a counselor. He listens more than he talks. He comprehends our needs and helps us find ways to meet them. He pays attention to us. When we are in his presence, we know we are significant, important, unique. And the, and the result is that we find a will and the means to live with zest. We've been given a gift in Jesus. He is both wonderful and counselor. And there's many scriptures that speak to this truth. But today I want to share with you a parable of Jesus from the New Testament book of Luke. And a parable is kind of like a story that carries with it a deeper meaning. So the main scripture we're going to look at today is Luke 13, verses 6 through 9. It says this, Then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came back again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to the gardener, I've waited three years, and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. The big question we're going to ask today in the message and answer is this. What's so wonderful about Jesus? What's so wonderful about Jesus? And that's a legitimate question, isn't it? Maybe it sounds a little sacrilegious to ask that question in church, especially around Christmas time. But I know that there are some in the room today that, that you don't yet believe in Jesus and you're, you're legitimately wondering what is so good about this Jesus because maybe the people in your life who have claimed to know Jesus as their Savior didn't seem very wonderful themselves. And I hope to answer that question for you today. What is so wonderful about Jesus? I have just one point 
in the message for you today. But don't worry, uh, there are two subpoints to explain that one point, and here it is. He is patient. He is patient. Now, maybe you're like me, and when you read this parable, if you've read it before, I don't know, but you read this parable and you assume that Jesus is the landowner in the parable. See, the landowner planted the fig tree, and after three years, that that fig tree still hasn't produced any figs. The response of the landowner, for good reason, is to cut it down. The landowner had waited three years, and that fact alone is significant because it would often take three years before a fig tree ever produced ripe fruit. But this fig tree hadn't produced any fruit and would very likely never become fruitful. The landowner was ready to cut down the tree. Now, I don't know about you, but it reminds me a little bit of a chainsaw. So I brought a chainsaw into church with me. Isn't that awesome? I've always wanted to bring a chainsaw on stage with me. Now, I wanted to bring a big old gas engine chainsaw because I don't know if anybody's weird like me, but I like the smell of exhaust. You know, from time to time, you get that whiff, and you're like, oh, that's awesome, especially diesel exhaust. That's incredible. Uh, that's a little bit weird. I know I couldn't bring it in because the fumes and everything, it just linger in the auditorium all through four services. So I, I got this little uh, electric battery-powered one, but it reminds me of a chainsaw. Now, sometimes we buy into the lie that Jesus is like a chainsaw. And, and what I mean by that is we buy into this lie that, that Jesus is like the landowner in the parable, and as soon as we don't cut the mustard, as, as soon as we make some mistakes, Jesus is quick to cut us off. Like Jesus is just kind of going around, wandering around, he's excited to cut us off when we're not doing the things that we're supposed to do. Almost like Jesus solves problems and problem people by amputation. Right? I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's only me, but I've read this passage before, and, and I've thought, man, I just need to shape up and do things right because if I mess up too much, he's just going to cut me off. Jesus is just kind of wandering through the church looking for the people that aren't doing stuff right, and he's just going to cut them down, cut them off. This is a success because I didn't cut my finger off in the middle of a, of a sermon. It'd probably take a while with the battery-powered chainsaw to cut a finger off. <laughs> I'm not going to try, though. I don't know about you. I, I've read that parable a number of times throughout my life. I've never studied it until now. I, I've never really slowed down to think about the, the meaning of this parable, but I've always just assumed that Jesus was the landowner, and, and you, you get that feeling that it's almost like, man, if I, just, if I don't do things right, as soon as I make too many mistakes, he's just going to cut me off. But actually, Jesus is the gardener in the parable, not the landowner. And so I, I brought these clippers here. I think this is a, a better image of the gardener and the, the spirit of the gardener because especially if you're talking about a tree that's a few years old, you, you, you can't cut down a tree with these clippers. You could try, but it's probably not going to work very well. And that's not even their intent, is it? The, the purpose of these clippers is, is to strategically cut off the dead branches of the tree 
so that life and health can return to the tree, right? That's the purpose of, of these clippers. And, and just think about the one that uses these clippers, the, the good gardener that knows what he's doing. I mean, the, the spirit and the mentality of the gardener is to produce life. I mean, the good gardener wants to strategically come in and he's not trying to cause harm to the tree. He's trying to, to make sure health can return to the tree. And so he invests time and energy and resources and thoughtfulness into the pruning process. And, and we don't like it very much, but it, it, it's part of the process that Jesus has for us. And, and likewise... Jesus is not eager to chop you down with a chainsaw like we might think sometimes. Rather, he, he came to cultivate your heart and produce life. He is patient. However, we often understand, we, we often misunderstand the patience of Christ. So I'm going to look a little bit closer at two truths about his patience, the patience of Jesus and the first is this, patience doesn't ignore unfruitfulness. Patience doesn't ignore unfruitfulness. Let's take a look at the latter part of verse 7. It says this, cut it down is just taking up space in the garden. An unfruitful fig tree signaled some kind of problem. In fact, an unfruitful fig tree, it, it, it didn't just have a problem that would affect itself. It would also affect the other trees planted nearby. An unfruitful fig tree would, would steal the moisture and the nutrients out of the ground, thereby harming the trees planted nearby as well. To make a quick correlation here, those who claim the name Christian but have no evidence of following Christ not only do damage to themselves, but they do damage to the people around them as well. Look at verse 7 again. It says this. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. I want you to notice something. The, the gardener, Jesus, he doesn't disagree with the owner. That, that is significant. The gardener doesn't disagree with the owner. The, the owner, the man who planted the tree, wants to cut it down because of its lack of fruitfulness. The desire of the gardener is to spend extra time with the tree, to give extra attention and help bring life to the tree. But if the extra attention and the opportunity for growth still comes up empty by the end of the year, the gardener says, cut it down. An appropriate connection to make in the scriptures would be Matthew 7, 21 through 23, where Jesus describes a true disciple and he says this, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Patience doesn't ignore unfruitfulness. And I know this may sound unlikely, and isn't necessarily what we think of with the word wonderful, but this helps us develop an accurate and biblical understanding of Jesus as wonderful. 
I have two children. Uh, Josiah is eight, and Maddie will turn six this week. And uh, our daughter, Maddie, uh, she, a couple years ago, she went through this stage in life where she would get really offended any time we would discipline her. And it really didn't matter what it was. It could be anything. And it also didn't matter whether it was me or my wife, Aubrey, that was doing the disciplining. She would respond the same way. Regardless of what it was, we would, we would communicate to her, the moment we communicated to her, that she had done something wrong and that she's not supposed to do whatever it is that, that she did, the, the big fat alligator tears would just come bursting out of her face. And she would respond to me kind of like this. She would say, but daddy, you hurt my feelings. And it was really cute and, and like we're frustrated, but we're also, we think it's hilarious at the same time that like she just did something wrong and she's getting on to us for offending her for the discipline process, right? And so, you know, it, it, it would be at this point where I would kind of, bend down, get on her level. I would wipe the tears from her eyes and say, Maddie, I love you so much. And I'm, I didn't mean to offend you, but you cannot punch your brother in the face. You can't do it. You, you're not ever going to be allowed to do that, right? Now, M Maddie... She doesn't get to choose what is acceptable and what isn't. As a, as a four-year-old, especially, she didn't get to choose. And from her perspective as her dad, now, I don't, I don't claim to always be a wonderful, loving father, but I try to, try to be a loving father, right? Just like I'm sure you try to be a, a loving parent in your discipline. But from her perspective, I was being mean to her by my discipline. But in truth, I'm responding through discipline the way a loving father ought to respond. To let that kind of behavior go would actually communicate the opposite. And, and truthfully, most of us in the room, we, we like the idea of following Jesus as long as it's on our terms. We like the idea of following Jesus, of being saved, of having a relationship with the Lord Jesus, but we have a much harder time surrendering to Jesus as Lord. And I believe along with biblical scholars that this unfruitful fig tree, it represents in some way two types of people, the unbeliever and or the person that claims to be a Christian but has experienced no change in their life. The lack of fruitfulness signals to the owner and the gardener a big problem. Jesus is, he's wonderful. And in his righteous goodness, he comes alongside us and he gracefully yet very clearly communicates that the way you're living has put yourself in dangerous territory. If you continue in unbelief and purposeful and premeditated sin, the result will be eternal death. Be believers in the room, there may be a season of unfruitfulness in your life. 
But if you truly know Jesus, that season will not last. It won't last. If you're not actually interested in change, then you're not really interested in Christ. I'll I'll say it again. If, If you're not actually interested in change, then you're not really interested in Christ. There is no such thing, in my biblically informed opinion, as a Christian that is not molded into the image of Jesus. There's no such thing. The very definition of a disciple of Christ is one that follows Jesus. So that's like saying you're a disciple that doesn't follow. It goes against the very definition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus if you're not following. So have I repented? Have I changed into the likeness of Jesus? We need to ask ourselves those questions. That, that, my friends, is the fruit that our Lord expects. And, and you may think, man, that, I thought this was supposed to be wonderful counselor week. <laughs> Doesn't sound very wonderful to me. But our, our wonderful God, He knows. He knows the trajectory of sin and unbelief, and that trajectory will result in hell. He knows that. His his patience does not ignore unfruitfulness. On the contrary, his intolerance of sin and unbelief proves he is wonderful because he knows where sin and unbelief will lead. So what's so wonderful about Jesus? He's patient. But his patience does not, it cannot ignore unfruitfulness. The second thing we see here is this patience involves investment. Patience involves investment. Our God is amazing, an amazingly patient God. I want to read you 2 Peter 3 verse 9. Great reminder, it says this, the Lord isn't really being slow about His promise as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Let's look back into our main scripture at the second part of verse 8. It says this, Leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. In the New Living Translation, it's the word translated fertilizer, but in a lot of the older English translations, it's the word translated as manure. It's awesome. And I love what Eugene Peterson says about the qualities of manure. Bet you never thought you'd heard this in church, but, but here it is. Incredible description and, and metaphor to, to what God does in our lives. He says this, manure is not a quick fix. It has no immediate result. It is going to take a long time to see if it makes any difference. We love new beginnings birthing a baby, christening a ship, the first day on a new job, starting a war. You can tell this is written a while back. I don't know if any of you have christened a ship anytime recently. (laughs) But spreading manure carries no such exhilaration. It is neither dramatic nor glamorous. Manure is a slow solution. When it comes to doing something about what is wrong with the world, Jesus is best known for his fondness for the tiny the invisible, the quiet, the slow, yeast, salt, seeds, and manure. 
I'm curious, how many of you remember uh, when you bought your first home? Anybody, you remember back when you bought your first home? Now, maybe some of you, that's still yet in the future. Uh, for some of you, that was a long time ago, so maybe it's hard to, to think back to what it was like when you bought your first home. But when you bought your first home, if, if that is your situation, uh, everything changed. Your, your whole mentality changed toward the property when you bought the home especially compared to when you rented a home or, or if you rented an apartment. Because now you got to take care of the place. And, and you want to take care of the place, right? You, you want to because, at least if you're smart, uh, it's, it's, an, an, it's an investment partially, right? And so you want to take care of it because 20, 30 years from now, you want it to be worth more than when you bought it. And so you take care of it. And you invest into it. But man, even more so if you live there. And most likely your first home, you lived there. You bought it and you lived there. And so not only do you care about it from an investment perspective, but you, you care about it because you have to live there every day. You know, you got to use that shower that's all stained and so you want to fix it. And, and you have to use that kitchen that is, you know, 50 years outdated. And so you want it to be nice and everything. And, and, and you, you begin to notice things that you didn't notice before. You know, you, you kind of go through the home and, and you notice when things are broken and messed up and you notice the leak that needs fixed and you notice the, uh, the light fixture that needs replaced and, and you make the investment. Even if it's going to cost time and money, energy, resources, even if it's going to cost, maybe if you're a little bit like me, it's going to cost some time watching some YouTube videos trying to figure out how to do drywall work or how to fix a toilet or whatever it might be, but you're going you're to spend those resources and it's frustrating at times. You don't always want to spend, I mean, talk, like the lamest thing in the world is to, to buy. I remember the very first washing machine I bought. How dumb is that? As like a 20-year-old, you're like, oh, I got this money. I can spend it, you know, willy-nilly and everything. And then you have to buy a stupid washer. And it's just, it's boring. It's like buying tires on your vehicle. It's just not, it, you're weird if you think that's awesome. But at any rate, you make that investment. You're willing to make the investment. And that's the kind of picture we have of wonderful counselor. Because as a counselor, Jesus invests something into us. Thoughtfully, carefully, strategically, he invests into us. Gosh, this picture of the gardener is a phenomenal picture. Because the gardener in the parable, and in that day, this was a, this was a very common occurrence with the, with the fig tree. The, the gardener would get down on his hands and knees and he, he would uncover the root system of the fig tree, the unfruitful fig tree. He would take off the, the uh, top layer of dirt that's covering up the root system. And in that day, they would inspect to see if there are any uh, parasites or worms digging their way through the root system. And they would actually smoke out any parasites that might be killing the tree. And then the gardener would confirm that the tree is getting the necessary moisture and the necessary nutrients for it to grow. And then, and then with the manure, the fertilizer, the gardener would spread the fertilizer over the root system and then cover it back up with dirt and continue to cultivate it, take care of it so that it has a chance to grow. That's, that's the image we have of our Lord Jesus, that he makes that kind of investment into us. Believers in the room, 
How are you experiencing and pursuing the investment of Jesus in your life? my, My prayer for us is that we will just linger on that question. Even after today, how am I pursuing the investment of Jesus in my life? Now, for starters, you you may need to repent of something. You know, there may be some kind of sin that's purposeful and premeditated that you're continuing in your life that you know is, is not something that God wants for your life. It's the opposite of what God wants in your life. And you're just kind of holding on to it, unwilling to let go of it. But until you do, you're going to miss out on the fruitfulness and the spiritual blessing that Christ has for you. Another practical thing here, speaking for myself and many other believers in the room, I know that the single greatest practice of my own spiritual journey has been creating a daily time with God where I'm, I'm spending time with the Lord. And many of you just need to start there. We have Bibles and devotionals out in the lobby that that you can grab, no strings attached. They're 100% free. And and that could be a great starting point for you to uh, begin developing a time with God. Another really helpful resource for me over the last uh, year and a half or so has been this book. It's called Soul Shaper by Keith Drury. Soul Shaper by Keith Drury. And uh, it's, it's a phenomenal book for small groups or a personal study. And it really dives deep into this investment that Christ Jesus wants to make into us. Because we've barely scratched the surface today about what it means for Jesus, the gardener, to invest into me and to cultivate my spirit. And uh, it's a book about spiritual disciplines, fasting, Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, confession, and many others. Uh, if you want it, you can pick it up today at the, at the Element store in the lobby. Um, it's available on Amazon.com as well. But I really think for many of you, this would be a really great next step. What's so wonderful about Jesus? He's patient. But his patience cannot ignore unfruitfulness. And his patience involves investment. Now, maybe you realize, however, that you don't even know Jesus as your Savior. You don't know Him as your Father. Jesus describes following Him, becoming a Christian. I think it's, it's, it's one of the most incredible pictures we have in the New Testament of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. But He describes it as being born again. When you believe in Jesus and surrender to Him as the Lord of your life, when you ask for forgiveness of sins and place your full trust in Jesus for salvation, Jesus said you will be born again. Literally, you'll be born into the family of God, that you'll become sons and daughters of the risen King. And maybe you're here today and you long for this investment of Jesus in your life. And I'm here to tell you, it has to start with being born again, being born into the family of God. We're going to pray here in just a moment. And if you're ready to receive Jesus as your Savior, to surrender to Him as the Lord of your life, then you can pray this prayer with me. And God hears your sincere prayer of faith and repentance. So if that's you, you can pray this prayer 
along with me. Jesus, I believe that you are God. I am a sinner, and I desperately need for you to save me. Come into my life. Save me, Lord Jesus, and forgive me. I am committing my life completely to you. Teach me what it means to follow you. Help me, Jesus, to follow you with every fiber of my being. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to just give you a, a moment today. I, my, my hope and prayer is, is that there would be some of you, if you prayed that prayer, if you're in the room today, um, I want to give you the opportunity to, to respond publicly saying, hey, that's me. I, I, I prayed to receive Jesus as my Savior because there's something powerful in front of your church. And this is a safe place. Many in the room, myself included, have made that same kind of acknowledgement that, yeah, I, I prayed to receive Jesus as my Savior. So I want to give you that opportunity. If you, if you prayed uh, along with me to receive Jesus and to surrender to Him as your Lord, would you just slip up your hand saying, that's me. I prayed to receive Jesus right when you prayed that. Anybody? Awesome. Good for you. Proud of you. Awesome. Whether you raised your hand or not, I would just encourage you to tell someone, like one-on-one, -on -one, tell somebody today, before you leave the lobby, tell someone that you made that decision to follow Jesus. And I want to encourage you to stop by guest services in the lobby, pick up a Bible in a Next Steps devotional. It would be our honor to give you that today. Uh, no strings attached. We just hope that it helps you begin your walk with Jesus if you're new here today, uh, please stop by the living room. We'd love to connect with you quickly. And if you would like someone to pray with you, we have a prayer team at the Purple Tent, and they would love the chance to pray with you for any, any reason. Thanks so much for being here today. Hope you have a great day. You are dismissed.